Hello. This is the house on Valencia Street. I'll be your host. I use explicit language. Topics include ghosts, the paranormal, psychic ability, domestic violence, incest, rape, murder, femicide, suicide, rural living in country cities, play, joy, creativity, intellect. Uh, let's see, foster care, emancipation, um, uh, willful education, recovery, therapy, Buddhism, agnosticism, atheism, philosophy, quantum physics, time travel, reincarnation, uh, <laughs> cinema, <laughs> meditation, prayer, ascension, uh, things of this nature. And today there'll be some Bible quotes. Oh my Lord. But maybe not in the way you might think. <laughs> and um, I'll also be quoting some ancient Greek texts because I'll be making a comparison and contrast to a very modern day director that a lot of people think is fantastic, but it's going to be a focal point for the fallen ones during this episode. So let's see anything else. Uh, this topic list is kind of intense. You might want to evaluate if this is what you're going to chew on today or listen to, uh, because you can consent. You can say no. Many times we have more power than we realize with our consent and our options. We have more choices than we realize many times. So maybe this is the content you want to dive into today. Uh, maybe today's the day you're going to scrub your shower right? Maybe today you're going to scrub and spick and span your shower with some scrubbing bubbles and you just cannot be dealing with this podcast today. Well, you go ahead and do that. You can say no. You got stuff to focus on. I understand. Although you can do both these things at the same time if you want to, you know, hey, just saying, you know. So uh, there's options. You could say yes, you could say no. And um, I appreciate people uh, wanting to be safe, even from me. I like people thinking about it and taking responsibility for themselves. Me too. So this place here, though, oh, um, let's see what else. I think, yeah. Um, the uh, house on Valencia Street is a haunted house I lived in in Walla Walla, Washington, um, decades and decades ago. Well, a couple decades ago, see. It was haunted. It's the most haunted house I've ever lived in. Um, there's four sisters, uh, three are in their 60s, and one of me, crest in 50s here. Um, we still talk about this house, and we don't talk to each other. And uh, my heart pounds when I think about it. And I still have dreams about this place um, 40 years later, over, well, 35, 45 years later. So um, this is a place, too, where we were being harmed and trying to escape. And we had to go to this place because they had cheap rent, right? And um, a lot went on there. There's a lot. There Maybe there's still a lot going on there. <laughs> the house still stands, you see. Um, it's a metaphor for several things, too. Um, which you probably heard by now. So let's see what else do we have to say. Uh, if mental stuff is kicking up for you, mental health stuff is kicking up for you, be responsible and seek professional help. That is not me. I am simply here sharing a case study. This is for entertainment purposes only. Uh, you take some responsibility for your mental health and you get some help if you need it. Um, and it's hard sometimes. And it's not say if you're poor, which is a big thing that I talk about on this. Uh, we don't have a lot of people talking to poor people like we's equal, see, because we equal see right? That, that should be the case. And if it ain't, then I'm not making the, I'm not 
this isn't consenting, right? So let's see. We equals going to do that. Uh, yeah. So get mental health therapy if you need it. That'd be good. Um, this is one case study about how to survive. I want people who don't have a lot of resources to feel help, to feel that there's hope and help, right? Um, there's support groups. There's 12 step. There's uh, hospices. A lot of times will have a support group if you're grieving on somebody. Um, there are a couple suicide hotlines um, and sometimes uh, centers against domestic violence will have um, uh, or domestic violence shelters will have like a hotline. So people could just talk and, and say, you know, the, the voice in the dark. I used one of those last couple months to deal with a, uh, something that happened at a free clinic. See, so there's options sometimes just to get a helping hand here and there. If you adjust your expectations and take responsibility, um, cause you deserve that you deserve to be safe and there's options out there. Right. So let's see, is there anything else I got to say before we get rolling in here? Oh, Hey, you know, this is a volunteer organization and I really enjoy doing this. <laughs> And I mean to publish a book and talk about my family because they're important to me and they brought me a lot of knowledge that's hard to get sometimes out there. Um, if you go to uh, anchor.fm forward slash MoMA, and that's spelled M-O-H-M-A-H, you can take a look at my my little stuff here and there's some donate options there. Um, right now I don't have anything for Patreon, uh, but I'm building these concepts about providing different content, maybe providing readings, I don't know. I don't know if I want to read anymore right now, but I'll talk about things in, in the psychic world, certainly. Um, but hey, yeah, uh, you can go over there and wander around, and boy, it sure would be nice. Your, your support sure makes a difference, so I appreciate you thinking about that. And um, my goal is to educate and inform, <clears throat> and I like clocking predators before they clock you, and I like talking about what their tells are. That's part of what happens here, too. So, okay, are we in? Did I get everything? Yeah, I think so. All right, today is uh, the 12th of February, 2022. That's a lot of twos. <laughs> I've got an anniversary coming up this month, and anniversaries can be tricky if you're abstinent on anything. Um, I've gambled in a decade, so that's happening this month, and um, I'm excited about that. Uh, I'm actually planning a date for myself. <laughs> I'm going to do my hair, put some makeup on, and uh, I might buy myself on flowers, see, uh, because uh, I want to celebrate accomplishment because it took some work, took a couple years of therapy to get to that place, see, so, and I'm proud. I'm excited about that. And maybe, you know, partying by myself out here in the woods ain't what you'd be doing, but it sure feels good to me, so what the hell, okay? Uh, <laughs> I got to that place with therapy. I got to the place where I was gambling and I didn't want to gamble anymore. So I went to a therapist uh, my family has gambling problems and um, I apparently did too. When somebody died, it triggered my gambling issues. So I got some therapy and then got into recovery and it took, I had to build, I had to build that strength. I had to build the strength of uh, not gambling. Um, but I had a year and 45 days and then I relapsed on an anniversary, which when I said gamble, uh, addiction anniversaries can be tricky. So you got to make sure to, you get overconfident. You're like, well, I made it a year. I can do it. I can do it. Too. I can go fuck around. I could just have one beer, right? You know, so the thing is, I alcohol's not my issue, but um, you get overconfident and then you're like, well, I don't, I don't gamble normally. You know, I may smoke a little weed and play Facebook slot machines for free, but other than that, I'm not going to I'm not diving into that shit. So anyway, I'm going to be doing something fun this week and I'm excited because I think in the pandemic planning for events like this, 
I can't take myself to a nice restaurant. I can't go out. I don't want to risk it with the pandemic and all, you know, so. So I'm looking forward to that celebration now. Um, I'm going to just drop in a quick fix I had this week, which is kind of fun. Hey, you ever get proselytized with neighbors like Jehovah's Witnesses or Seven Day Adventists coming and knocking on your door and saying, hey, uh, why don't you go read the Bible? I got some things to tell to you about way you should worship God. Well, um, I live in an area where that's a common thing. And uh, many times people of some demographics have entitlement issues and they don't only, they want yours. Well, they want theirs and they want yours too. See, um, they feel entitled back. And um, so you have to kind of educate them a little bit. Back when I was going to college here in this uh, Oregon state here, um, it was during the AIDS crisis and um, people were dying and it was scary, even in Oregon, you know, liberal, conservative, well, it'd be more of a liberal town thing, but um, I knew people that died of AIDS during that crisis and it was really hard watching them die and and seeing all these, you know, nitroglycerin stints for hearts and um, the melanomas and the, all this stuff. And anyway, uh, well, are they melanomas? They're, they were carcinogenic. Well, anyway, so part of that was I did a lot of active, active work in um, college to educate people about being safe, safer, safest with their sexuality. Well, part of the active work I did was after I came out as a bisexual, sometimes some of this human sexuality or psychology college professors would want to have panels where they'd have, hey, this is a human sexuality class and you got 300 kids who are 18 or 19 years old coming from bumfuck wherever. That's one reason I took human sexuality classes in college was because I came from Walla Walla. As it turned out, (laughs) I was a bisexual babe and a feminist and a liberal and you know, by the time I was done with that, I I debated a Playboy representative on the college radio station, and I won that debate. You know, by the time I got the end of it, but at the beginning I was learning, right? Well, those human sexuality courses, I learned some stuff too, and I met some of my first gay and lesbian friends there. As I got mature and graduated college, I was secure in my orientation. So the college professors would have a gay man and a bisexual woman and a lesbian, and they'd be at the front of the class, and then 300 people would ask you questions about being gay or bi or lesbian or what have you. Um, And being that this was 25, 35 years ago, that was kind of new territory. Um, I took a 101 gay and lesbian class. I got college credit as an elective in the women's studies uh, department at that college. So, uh, and it was really interesting. Uh, it was a really fruitful class, actually. Um, I learned a lot. So, getting back to this human sexuality class, you sit in front of class and they'd ask you questions about, well, do you have to have sex with a man and a woman? It's like, well, I'm monogamous and I've been celibate two years or whatever. And so we ain't all the same. We ain't all big hoe bags. But if you want to be big hoe bags, that's fine too. Don't slut shame. You know, we're learning more about that. There's a fellow that I used to uh, go to these panels with and his name's Dan. And if I know Dan, he'd be proud to have his name shared, this one, because he'd talk publicly about the fact that he was a Catholic. Well, yeah, he was a Catholic. He practiced in his own way, although he was gay, 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 gay. He was gay, baby. And um, But he was also, where he'd wear like a flannel shirt, and he had, you know, he could do construction and stuff like that, and he studied the Bible. See, Dan did. And Dan had a scruffy little beard with some gray flecks in it. And he was a little bit 
nervous, a little bit nebbish, I think. No, that's the wrong word. I think I can say that better. Um, uh, that might have been a, a, a racist word, but I'm not sure. I can say it differently, and I apologize if it was unpleasant, that one. But we'd sit in some of these panels, and they'd ask us questions about our sexual orientation, and there'd be a lot of ignorance, and there'd be a lot of curiosity and confusion, and it was interesting, you know, um, to just represent, to say, well, I'm a mature person, and I feel comfortable with my orientation. Dan the Catholic had a take. He would go to these public debates, and he would go to debate people that, um, at the time we were in college, this is late 80s, early 90s, there was a guy named Lon Maybon in Oregon. Lon Maybon put forward a couple ballot measures, and he was trying to make it illegal to be gay and lesbian in Oregon. Well, I took offense to that, because I loved some women, you know, and I was, I was monogamous, but I, I'd been in love with women, and in the early part of my career, I couldn't tell anybody that I was dating a woman who is a graduate student in English, and she was on the uh, committee for women's advancement at the college and she was the biggest brain. I couldn't tell anybody I was dating these people because of homophobia, you know, and also I had to figure out how to be out, right? And also have a career and not be targeted, right, at that time in IT. <laughs> anyway, so um, Dan would debate. Dan liked a healthy debate, that one, and Dan was a Catholic, but he's also gay, see? He also understood the hypocrisy of such things, but he liked to debate people who was trying to make gay people illegal or be attacked. Ballot Measure 9, Ballot Measure 13 were done by Lon Maybaum, and I did a lot of activism, and we got those ballot measures, uh, we made sure that they were canceled out and they failed, and a lot of gay and lesbian people did a lot of service work to make that happen. We had a lot of fundraisers, and it was actually kind of a fun time. Um, I ended up getting asked out by a prison guard from Salem, as a matter of fact, at one of the No on Nine campaigns. I still got a button from that. She was into Reba McIntyre, that one. She uh, took a third at the gay games in D.C. that year. <laughs> I don't mind Alpha. Alpha's kind of fun to be around. I think maybe I'm kind of Alpha, too, so I kind of like somebody strong. Like I said, if I'm going to date somebody, when I'm going to date somebody, I kind of want to, if it was going to go on a wrestling mat, I'd want to not be sure who's going to win. You know, she kind of had that build. I was like, oh, okay. You know, and she asked me out. I was surprised. And I was like, okay, sure. Um. And our first date was at the uh, women's basketball. I, I'm proud to say this. The first collegiate um, event that I attended that wasn't for work, because I worked in track and field when I was uh, doing work study earlier. But the first time I ever attended a college game <laughs> was after I graduated college. And it was attending with a lesbian date at the women's basketball team with a, a security guard from the state penitentiary in Salem, Oregon. But we weren't in Salem, Oregon at the time, but that was my first time I ever attended a college game. And I'm proud to say I didn't go to a damn fucking football game. Let me tell you what. Anyway, <laughs> it was really fun. It was really fun to kind of be like, oh, wow, you know, there's strong women and we're celebrating strong women. What the hell, right? So, okay. Anyway, let's get back to the LGBT stuff. Um, Dan liked to debate. And he knew his Bible. He knew his Bible inside and out. So what I saw him do about 20, 30 years ago is when he'd get into these debates with these righteous people like Lon Maybon, who we had to deal with, you know, who was trying to correlate be gay, lesbian, LGBT to um, pedophilia, bestiality. He, was, he presented petitions and ballot measures in Oregon in the late, uh, like the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, talking about how that's what he saw gays and lesbians and trans and LGBT, asexuals, you know, the whole back gamut of us. It ain't necessarily straight, heterosexual, white people who don't get married and have 2.3 kids, right? 
there's all kinds of flavors in there, okay? So um, anyway, part of that activism was that we go do these panels and people ask us all these questions. Well, Dan was a master at using the Bible to say what he wanted and to confront these people that were uh, uh, hypocrites. Leviticus was one of his favorite chapters and verses to go to town with. Well, I bring him up because he inspired me to do something this week. And even though I didn't follow through on it, I really enjoyed the process quite a bit. The Bible is a tool. The Bible is a man-made object. There's lots of Christians, there's lots of different types of faiths out there. Although any, t I'll quote Andy DeFranco, any tool is a weapon if you hold it right, see. So <clears throat> you can use the Bible to say all kinds of things. If people are going to tell you that who you is is wrong, they're going to use it to hit you over the head. Because I'll quote Patton Oswalt, if you like you some torture porn, that Old Testament. Woo, that's quite a little doozy, that one. So um, here's a couple things you can say to people if people are fucking pissing you off and they're trying to proselytize to you. Because I, I live in kind of a... Uh, I live in an area that's kind of in the country, but it's also kind of, uh, there's some nicer homes out here. Um, I, I don't know how to explain this. Well, I, I want to keep it general, but there's a lot of conservative Christians out here, a lot of Caucasians. As a matter of fact, I don't remember seeing anybody with dark skin out here in the seven years I've lived out here, unless they were a, migra a worker work working on a farm, a migrant worker. So that's this area here. And it's not that I prefer to be here. It's that I'm I'm lodged in here. It's it's affordable and people leave me alone. You know, I, I have my little pocket and it's my bubble, you know, like Linda the Good Witch has a bubble around her. That's kind of what I do out here. That's what I try to do, meditate and do my little Buddha shit and try to bounce that shit off. So as it turns out, and you've had this happen, I know you have, you ever get those handwritten letters from people from Jehovah's Witnesses or some other Christian organization that says, um, hey, we're going to target you. And for some reason, we're going to look at you and say, you need to be saved. And I can do that for you. Let me tell you what. <laughs> so um, have you read the Bible? Because the Bible's the thing that's going to do it for you, see? And um, let me let me go ahead and say, I'll give you some scripture and shit. You should probably read this. And why don't I tell you that you should go to this church and do this. And um, I need to, you know, save souls. So, you know, join the club, would you? <laughs> proselytizing is the word for what they're doing there. Um, so um, I've got so much data to talk about. I might do two episodes on this. This will be a part one or possibly of what I'm going to bleed into because uh, looking at the time here. Anyway, but let's get into this Bible quotes thing. Someone coming at you, trying to convert you. Uh, well, here's some things you could say to them. I'm going to quote a couple Bible quotes here. So see if you enjoy a couple of these. If it's a woman coming at you, here, here's a Bible quote for that. <clears throat> Quote, I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. That's Timothy, uh, chapter 2, verse 12. Or how about this one? Quote, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. That's Corinthians eleven thirteen. How about this one? They have false... No, here we go. I'm start again. They have seen false visions and lying divinations. They say, declares the Lord when the Lord has not sent them. That's Ezekiel 13.6. Or how about this one? Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your inequity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. Lamentations 2.14.
<laughs> you want to talk about some false oracles and false apostles of Christ? Oh, let's go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, baby. That book, you can make that book say anything you want. I got college credit on the Bible, you know, because uh, of my study in philosophy. If you're going to study philosophy, if you're going to study classics, you're going to study theology, typically. They kind of are interwoven because many times that's what could support a philosopher was a church before formal uh, academic uh, colleges a lot of times. So anyway, that's a little uh, technique I use sometimes. I, I sometimes don't mind putting together some Bible quotes that uh, you can make that Bible say anything you want. And it's a pretty contradictory document. See, uh, I think there's some good stuff in it, although it's a tool. And if you're in a context, there hasn't been any culture that hasn't been male dominated that I'm aware of uh, overwhelmingly, statistically, 99% of the time, right? So any religion that's cultivated or created in a male-dominated culture is going to be a reflection of male-dominated thought. And the Bible is that, you know. Like Timothy was saying, I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. <laughs> I'm going to defy that today. Okay? Okay. So, um, there's a little bit of that. Okay. Well... I've got some things I'd like to talk about regarding being psychic. And I got riled up because a particular director I'm not very happy with that I very much love his work. I'm going to have to look directly at him and say some things. I might actually do a part two for next week on this particular one. But just to feather the bed, uh, feather the nest here, let's get going to go along this theme. Some people like to say things like, all psychics is fake. All psychics is fake. Jordan Harbinger has a show and he makes money financially. And he's a guy of a particular, he's a particular gender demographic. And he talks to other people, the same gender demographic, talking about how all psychics are fake. Okay. Well, what is a psychic? Because I, my experience is people who make a living by contradiction or defiance, uh, they're categorically overwhelmingly male. I have yet to see a psychic debunker that was female that was famous. Categorically, every psychic debunker that I've seen, and I could probably name six of them over the past 30 years that get any fame, they make their money by putting their boot on the neck of a psychic, and that's usually going to be a woman, and it's usually going to be a man, okay? Nine times out of ten, I cannot think of any famous psychic debunker that uh, hasn't made their fame by not insulting psychic people and saying they're all charlatans, okay? So that pisses me off, and it's wrong. And it's pretty obvious what's going on there if you pay attention to what's going down. So let's get to the roots of it. What is a psychic? Why do you want to debunk a psychic? Why do you want to insult a psychic? And like I said, it's going to be the one gender talking about another gender. Well, let's evaluate that. Where does the word psychic come from? It is from the Greek psychikos and English, which is psych. Um, the root of it comes down to of soul, spirit, or mind. Okay. And I've got a little bit more about that. Psyche, originally, as far back as we can go, the references that we can get in writing, and there probably were previous references, but like I mentioned the Metamorphoses by Ovid previously. We're going to be talking about the Metamorphoses by uh, Apuleius or Apuleius today. Um, so they're different books, but similar titles. Um, we're talking about origin of language, though, and that's important. In this context, um, Psyche was the beloved of Eros, or you might know them as Cupid, 
Uh, Psyche and Eros is a famous painting, a Renaissance theme. A lot of Renaissance paintings and themes talk about this kind of forbidden thing where uh, Cupid steals away Psyche and keeps her in this box, kind of like a Rapunzel kind of type capsule, a castle kind of a thing. And then he comes to her at night, right? So, um, and it's creepy as hell. He captures her, puts her in a box, doesn't let her leave, and he doesn't let her look at her and says, you can't tell anybody about her. I mean, it's like the ultimate male fantasy of an abusive relationship that we've seen taint. how many how many movies got a theme on that see so anyway um psyche let's get back to this so she's the beloved of eros and she is represented as a young girl typically in mythology and root um the earliest reference i can find to this reference in which this word is derived from that i could find comes from um apuleius and he was about 120 to 170 AD, or as we colloquially go with CE these days. Uh, so he's, he also was a Platonic philosopher. Uh, Plato was about 500 years before this. Okay, so he was a Platonic philosopher and he studied in Athens, Greece. Okay, or actually Athens, Rome. Shit. Ath it's Greece, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, I, I'm an expert. See, no, I'm just, a, I'm a hobbyist with a, you know, a little study and a couple decades of interest trying to find my way through the thicket here. So anyway, um, yeah, he studied in Athens. Actually, I could look this up. I'm looking at it right now. Here we go. Apuleius, uh, he was a Latin language prose writer, a platonic philosopher and rhetorician. <laughs> he lived in the Roman process of new media. But later he studied in Athens, which is in Greece. That's right. See? Yeah. Anyway, so this guy writes this tale about Eros and a Psyche. And this is where we're finding this original theme from. She's represented as a young girl. Many times a psychic or Psyche is uh, represented as a butterfly as a symbol. And many times butterflies would be seen as a symbol for departed souls, usually represented as a winged creature. I think many times people misappropriate that when people have visions with near-death experiences or they see angels. Um, uh, actually, let's see. I'm trying to think about ancient Greek and Roman, actually uh, ancient Egyptian tombs. I don't remember seeing a lot of wings. Yeah, there's a couple wings there. Um, okay. Um, <clears throat> many times the wings are represented as an angel or a supreme, a supreme being, a, a divine um, entity. I think a lot of times that's symbolic. And mostly it's a symbol to say, I'm putting a wing on this and attaching it to this so you know it's not a physical body, it's a spirit body, right? That's my perception of a lot of the drawings from those early times. All right, so <clears throat> now Apuleius had some feelings about women and love and this and that, and let's take a look at the character of Apuleius, shall we? Well, I'm taking a look at this is from Wikipedia, okay? And I'm going to be reading some of his work a little later here. But let me quote here about Apuleius or Apuleius, okay? Now, he's a guy from about 100 to 200 AD who's writing about Psyche, which is the origins of what we understand that word to be, part of him. So this is what Apuleius, what we know about him as a person, okay? Real person. Quote, the most famous incident in his life was when he was accused of using magic to gain the attentions and fortune of a wealthy widow. He claimed and then distributed a witty tour de force 
in his own defense before the proconsul and a court of magistrates convened in Sabratha, near ancient Tripoli, Libya. This is known as the Apologia, the Apologia. So, quote, <clears throat> so what we know about the character of this man that still carries forth with him is that he liked to deceive women who were wealthy and take their money. And it was so bad, he had to go to court because he stole so much. That's the character of this guy. Now, the character of this guy who likes to steal money from wealthy women and fool them writes a story it kind of seems like projection and transference, if you ask me, about a woman who's a psychic. And then he makes this woman a psychic, and a psychic, she's this tale of psychic. And if you know the tale of Medusa, you could probably get a little sense of what's coming with her. Not a lot of consent going on, not a lot of choice. See? Why do we want to study Apuleius and his character, which is that of deceiving when it comes to psychic ability, and then compare that to anybody in modern day? Well, it kind of looks like he's working some stuff out that maybe he should have seen a therapist for, although we hadn't developed psychotherapy, really, as it's known today. He's been writing about, he actually wrote this thing called um, The Metamorphosis or The Golden Ass, uh, back, of, oh, back in 100 to 200 AD. In this tale called The Golden Ass is where we get the first origin story of Psyche and Cupid that we have in writing. Now, <clears throat> to me, it's, it's ripe because it's going to talk about how, <laughs> once we can take a look at what they do to her and what, they, what the psychic is perceived of and who's orchestrating that um, narrative, I think we can actually get a little more sure footing to accept people who really are authentically psychic from their own voice with a different storyteller, perhaps. Maybe I'm going to be one of those, perhaps, yeah? Anyway, I think we're going to take a commercial break and then I'll come back. I was just going to do the half hour and do it, but I think I'm going to have to talk about this fallen director. Mm. Anyway, there's juicy little tidbits coming up because they're kinky little bitches, let me tell you. One moment, please. And we're back. <laughs> All right. When we tuned in last, we were talking about Apuleius or Apuleius. Apuleius. He lived between 1 to 200 AD, and he is part of the origin of what we understand the word psychic to be. Um, his writing is the earliest writing we have of a story about psyche, psychic, uh, the word psychic comes from. Now, much like the word, uh, the root of philosophy, the root word of that for thinking, um, um, similar roots can mean many things. For example, the word philanthropy philanderer, philanthropist, um, philosophy, all of the same Latin root, but they mean different things, right? Especially philanderer and philanthropist. They're very different words, right? So, <laughs> so um, many times these words can have similar roots, but uh, different meanings, right? And I'm trying to understand the word psychic, and I want to really dive into what the word psychic is. And as I'm digging around, I'm going, oh, this is why it's kind of fucked up, because the origin is kind of fucked up, see? So Apuleius is this guy who way back when writes this thing, but the most famous thing he's known for is using his um, magic and attentions and manipulation skills to seduce a woman who is wealthy. And then he is confronted and has to go to court for stealing a bunch of money. Okay, so he's a person who is shown to be a low uh, character. Okay, and that's 
his origin story. That's what we know about him. Now, the thing is, history is written by the victors, right? So hard to say if that was made up or not. But when we dig into the story, I think there might be a theme. So here comes Psyche and Cupid. How about that? Now, I was digging around. I was flipping through my Metamorphosis by Ovid, and I couldn't find a reference to this. Um, so this is later. Um, and I'm going to read to you how Apuleius conceives of this person called Psyche, which is the origin of this word that we know as psychic, okay? Part of it, anyway. So this is coming from Apuleius, and it's from the Golden Ass, also known as the Metamorphosis, his version. <clears throat> Quote, In a certain city there lived a king and queen who had three daughters of surpassing beauty. The elder two were extremely pleasing. Still, it was thought that they only... They were only worthy of mortal praise, but the youngest girl's looks was so delightful, so dazzling, no human speech in its poverty could celebrate them or even rise to the adequate description. Crowds of eager citizens and visitors alike, drawn by the tales of this peerless vision, stood dumbfounded, marveling at her exceptional loveliness, pressing thumb and forefinger together and touching them to their lips and bowing their heads towards her impious prayer, as if she were truly the goddess Venus. Soon the news spread that through neighboring cities, and the lands beyond its borders, that the goddess herself, born from the blue depths of the sea, emerging in spray from the foaming waves, was now gracing the earth in various places, appearing in many a mortal gathering, or, if not that, then earth, not ocean, had given rise to the new creation, a new celestial emanation, another Venus, and as yet a virgin flower. Quote. <sighs> Creepy as fuck. <laughs> Oh, my skin is crawling. Okay, so this old pervert is talking about how the baby youngest child, so this baby itty-bitty girl, is the sexiest, hottest love goddess in the fucking thing. Now, and also let's talk about, uh, is it Botticelli? We all know the vision of Aphrodite, Botticelli, um, Aphrodite emerging from the sea foam and the waves, and she's on a shell, right? Now, that's a that reference goes before this reference. Um, we can find examples of that story origin before this uh, historically but here we're seeing a kick to that if you've seen Botticelli's Aphrodite and there's all these people jumping around it's a really interesting um, piece of work this is kicking to that so you're seeing some of this imagery right here um, we are seeing different genders we're seeing uh, people observing someone who is beautiful who is a child so we're eroticizing a child. So this whole eroticizing the Lolita by Nabokov, this has been going on for centuries, huh? Decades, millennia. Oh, millennia. Gross. Okay, so, and this is the emanation of the word psyche. Okay, so let me also give you a little bit more about how, let's see, I'm not going to read the whole damn thing, but... So, quote, this extravagant bestowal of the honors due to heaven on a mere mortal girl roused Venus herself to violent anger. Quote, so um, the fantasy, <laughs> the fantasy that Apuleius, uh, Apuleius has is that um, the goddess of beauty and love is angered because she's jealous of this virginal child. <laughs> That's really pretty. And of course, every woman in the story is jealous or mean, or there's a virtuous one, and well, she's going to have to be raped against her will and then probably killed, 
right? You know, because that's what we do here. Yeah, um, not too nice to the girls. I think we know who's writing the stories, though, don't we? I think we know what gender's writing these stories. So, again, we're kicking back to that thing that really pisses me off where we're talking about a woman who's a virgin who does all these things. So, later in the story, and let's see if I can get to some of this here. Da, 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 da. Okay, here's a quote. I'll just round this out to kind of give you a vibe on what little Apuleius is projected into the situation. Uh, let's so. So here's talking about Venus now, quote, but she'll reap no joy. Oh, this is Venus talking about psyche here. So here we go. Quote, is a girl destined to die to tread the earth in my likeness? Was it nothing that Paris, the shepherd, who just an honest verdict was approved by the almighty Jove, preferred me for my matchless beauty to those of two, the other two great goddesses? But she'll reap no joy with usurping my honors. Whatever she may be, I'll soon make her regret that illicit beauty of hers. And swiftly she summoned Cupid, that son of hers, a winged and headstrong boy, who with with his wicked ways and contempt for public order, armed with his torch and his bow and arrows, goes running around at night in other people's houses, ruining marriages everywhere, committing such shameful acts with impunity, and doing not an ounce of good. Quote. <laughs> this story is written by some son of a bitch from about two, three thousand years ago. Well, being a bit general there, who liked to seduce women and take their fucking money. And now he's writing this fucking story about a little baby with an arrow going around and fucking around people's houses at night. Does this sound fucked up? Yes, it's fucked up. Okay, so why am I talking about this? Because this is where Psyche, this is where Psyche comes from. Let's go ahead and round it out. I don't need to tell you the whole goddamn thing. But um, gosh darn, God bless thing. So the whole gist of this thing is some fucking pervert who is a liar, who liked to lie and deceive people, right? Um, <laughs> he uh, apparently liked to target widows and then he got pulled up on the council way back when. Well, he liked us also write fiction stories about Cupid and project all this fucking weird shit where he goes in and says, hey, I'm going to fuck around your baby, your places at night. Woo! Well, if you know the story of uh, this guy told of his fantasy of what Cupid and uh, Psyche were, um, the beauty, the beautiful child was seen as a curse. See, the other two average uh, step, the evil stepsisters, see, and of course, this is a man writing this story because that's how he sees women relating to each other. Um, <clears throat> it's like a Cinderella story. It's like one of the original Cinderella stories, see. Um, the beautiful girl is, uh, there's an oracle. You see, somebody does an oracle. The father's concerned because everybody loves her, but she's so beautiful that nobody wants to date her. So her dad, Psyche's dad, says, hey, I got to talk to an oracle. And they say, oh, it's bad news, see. Um, she's going to have a husband, but he ain't going to be human, see. Going to be a beast man, see. And, um, yeah, she's destined to get pregnant with a beast man's baby, see. Oh, it's, it's not good news. So the dad goes, well, that's fucked up. Okay, well, whether you like it or not, because that's one of the themes on the show, too. You know, it's what happens to us. Whether you like it or not, Psyche, we're going to take you out, chain you on a rock, and say, fuck y'all, let the beast come get you, and say, sayonara, we don't care if you die, have a good day. You're, you're goddamn pariah, I'll see you. Okay, pause. So here we got in a story. <laughs> a virgin child, female, that is more beautiful and desired than anybody else. And, well, she's cursed, see, so we're going to have to put her on a rock and just let him have his way with her because we're done with you. Bye-bye. The empathy level that they show 
<laughs> to women and their culture is stunning. Let me tell you what our culture, I guess we should say. So this guy has this whole thing. Well, this is the origin of the word psychic. Okay. What, and so when we look back at the word psychic, um, it comes back to the root of, of the soul or of the spirit. Here we go. Become the Greek of soul, spirit, or mind, right? Now the corollary for the word psychic is anima in Roman anima as in to animate like that. Yeah. Okay. Now, why am I talking about this? Because the first thing is I want to think about what a psychic is. Okay. And the psychic, as we see it in language is defined by a man. And the furthest back reference we can find about the word psychic is defined by a man who um, also had a bad character and liked to steal from women who had money. Okay. That's the man who created the word psychic. <laughs> huh. Oh, okay. <clears throat> well, that's interesting. Um, so, uh, let's kind of pause. We're going to go shift now into this next part. And I've got so many, so much data on this. I'm not sure I'm going to portray this the well, right way I want to. Um, so what do I want to say about that? Um, my family is, comes from a long line of psychics and I am a psychic and I was born with it. And in my experience, feminine intuition and power is a powerful thing. And in my experience, the only psychic deniers that I see who are famous for making money, they're men. They're all one gender. I have yet to see. Now, the thing is, I'm not going to say categorically that it's all one way. What I'm going to say is, I think it's interesting that I've talked about studies that discuss empathy disorder in our culture and that one in six to one in seven is going to have an empathy disorder. Okay. People who categorically deny responsibility for themselves, people who lie, people who manipulate. That's what the characteristics are, right? DSM-5 talks about that, especially if you look at cluster B, if you look at narcissism, I mean, narcissistic personality disorder, DSM-5. So, <clears throat> well, that's real interesting. We're learning something with this, file, this field of psychology, right? And why is it relevant to identify empathy disordered or narcissistic people? Okay. Because categorically from that subset of one to six to one to seven people in the general population, four out of five of those are going to be men. 80% or higher are going to be men. And that means that statistically, at least one in 10 people that you're going to deal with is going to be an empathy disordered male, statistically, in the United States on average. Okay, 10% of the population. This is the, this is the percent of the population that can lie, can steal, can cheat, and it's just fine with it. And they could do it to dozens, if not hundreds of people. Okay, well, that's very interesting. <laughs> What were the characteristics of somebody who's got empathy disorder? Someone who can lie and steal, perhaps? Well, that's that's very fascinating. Someone who's manipulative, right? Okay. Okay. So we know that there's a category of people, and we're educated enough to know that there's a category of people that are going to do that, and that they tend to lie and manipulate. Well, here's an example of an old writer talking about his version of a virginal child female that's so beautiful that she just can't be with anybody, so she's going to have to be tied to a rock, and a beast is going to have to rape her. And then later she gets put in a closet and she can only have this this thing make love to her at night. And then she has a beast baby and none of this is with her will, right? Okay. And the person writing that is the guy who um, is most famous for being accused of using magic to gain attentions and the fortune of a wealthy widow, a man who's manipulative and steals, potentially lies so, so badly that they had council confrontations at the time that are documented with this guy. Okay. So the narrative is being written by a guy who likes to fool women and steal money. Okay. 
Okay, well, let's do a little bit more comparison before I kick into the fallen one here with this director. Right? Okay. <clears throat> There's a guy named, uh, the former guy. <laughs> there was a, a presidential guy who liked to talk about toilets. Quote, you got to flush your toilet 10 times, 15 times. What's going on with the toilets? Quote, this former president was saying. And as it turns out, just in the last week, and today is... Uh, February 12, 2022, it turns out that his aides and witnesses said they repeatedly had to take flush documents out of the toilet. You know, if you were doing classified and top secret stuff and flushing it down a toilet or eating it or um, ripping it up or getting it stolen down at Mari Lago or wherever the hell you're storing it, um, boy, I might overcompensate by talking about how toilets everywhere need to be flushed. And I might overcompensate by talking at several rallies about toilets way too much, right? Isn't that interesting how guilty people tend to do that? <laughs> yeah, they tend to have give. They tend to have gender, race, and socioeconomic demographics a lot of times when it comes to privilege. Okay. Well, now we're shifting. Okay, feel the seismic force shift. I'm not going to give as much attention to this as I probably want to. We are now entering into the fallen ones. The fallen ones. Do, do, do. This is for the people that you respected and admired that you have been moved by that have changed your life in some way and then as you've matured or learned more information you realize that there's a flaw or some harm and that you can't ascribe to it anymore right so for example you you get full knowledge and then you go i can't i can't support you anymore i gotta let you go an example of that would be dr oz has run he's going for republican uh office and dr oz is someone who i've got his book uh, you the owner's manual and a couple other books he's produced some really great books um uh, some of his weight training techniques i ripped i actually remember going and doing my weight training techniques at the uh the big gym i used to go to and um I love going there at 6 a.m. because that's when all the if you want to if you want to see real bodybuilders working out, join a big gym that uh, like a university gym. If you're an alumni, you can get a you can get a membership. And especially if you go to the gym where the athletes train go, and you go there at about five six in the morning, you want to see the big boys play. That's when you go. <laughs> if you end weight training, if I and I have now and again on through my years, but the times the, that you go see. I remember being surprised because with my schedule, I'd go early in the morning because uh, I sleep odd hours. So sometimes I go as soon as they'd open up and then I go to sleep. And um, five or six in the morning, though, repeatedly when I was really doing my tough nuts, you know, um, working out six days a week, eating cottage cheese and stuff like that, being completely ripped and stuff like that. Um, I go in at 6 a.m. and that's when all the big bodybuilders would be there at the gym and you'd see these massive refrigerator sized people, you know, benching 400 pounds, you know, size of a small car. And you're like, what the heck? Well, well, maybe a motorcycle. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> a gold wing. Well, maybe. Yeah. Big, big, pretty fucking big amount of metal there. But it was fascinating to go in there because everybody's stretching. I'd be doing my, you know, cause I, I, I was building and, um, before I got my power blocks, um, I had the five to 50 pounder power blocks and now I've got the, I'm working with the, is it like five to 25, 20 pounders? My incline, decline. But anyway, um, yeah, if you want to go watch a bodybuilder like the size of Arnold Schwarzenegger working out, working out at a university gym where the athletes go work out, a million-dollar gym is probably a good place to go. And sometimes if you're an alumni at a university, they'll give you special deals to get access to their gyms. 
Um, my university does. So you get a cheaper membership discount. Although I don't go to it so much because I'm not in the same city anymore. But anyway, I digress. So the fallen ones. Here we go. Well, let's see. There's a new movie coming out. Well, actually, let me tell you about a fella. Let's see. There's a director I rather admire, you know. He, uh, he speaks a foreign tongue, this one, or a, a tongue different than mine. He speaks a, a language different than mine as his root. He comes from a country called Mexico, this one. And um, he has a lot of access to myth and storytelling. He's a good storyteller, this one. He's made some movies that still touch me and terrify me. Um, all of his movies have themes of monsters, you see. Monsters being loved. It's interesting. It's always a male monster. And it's always a beautiful young female loving them. I wonder what he might be working out there. He came from Mexico. And um, he uh, had a couple of difficult things happen while he was there. In one case, his father was um, kidnapped. And he had to pay ransom to get his father back. In true life, this is, um, I don't have a city here. I just know the country being Mexico. He had to pay double the ransom money to get his father back safely. And after that occurred, he moved his family to the United States. I guess apparently he felt it was safer for him and his family. <coughs> this director was uh, married to a woman named Lorenzo Newton. Lorenzo Newton. He was married to Lorenzo Newton for 30 years. And they had a couple daughters. Uh, Lorenzo Newton is a veterinary doctor. She also was a film and art director in Mexico. And they met in 1986, this director and she, um, in school. So they'd been together 30 damn years. Can you believe that? Three decades. And they had a whole family. And she supported him through several movies. And from what I'm reading, there's a bit of um, Polly Platt and Bogdanovich going on here, where Bogdanovich stomped real hard on her and didn't, didn't give her due credit. And people are realizing that Polly Platt did a lot more than she got credit for because, well, sexism, see? Um, now, this director, well, in 2017, he dumped his wife for 30 years. See? Yeah, and he married a woman named Kim Morgan. Now, Kim Morgan's 17 years his junior, a lot younger. He um, changed models. He dumped the 30-year wife and got a wife that was 17 years younger than her. And also, the first wife is brunette. Second wife is blonde, 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 and she's had some work done. You can see that. Now, I don't want to shame, I don't want appearance shame, although they're very different looking women. Okay. And he can choose to do that. He could just go ahead and dump his wife of 30 years and their kids and go ahead and go to this different model, which is what he did. Now, Kim Morgan likes to be married to directors. Apparently Kim Morgan was directed to, she was married to a different director, Guy Madden. That was the other director. And apparently Guy Madden and Kim Morgan did work together on a couple movies, uh, a couple different movie, um, festivals. I think I saw something about Tallarad, but I'm not quite sure on that. I have to confirm that. It was definitely a movie cinema organization. Canadian. Yes, that's right. Guy Madden. They're Canadian, or he's Canadian from Tallarad. They did some work together. Well, they got divorced, and then she married this big famous director that she's with now. Now, this big famous director who dumped his 30-year wife and upgraded to the blonde model, and uh, boy, she likes to marry directors, that one too, apparently. And um, let's see, she's listed as an art historian, apparently. 
according to hola.com. Yeah. Also, Kim Morgan and this director married in secret. They had a secret marriage. Um, and they did that. And it was confirmed in November of 2021, which is just a couple of months ago. It's February 2022 right now. So about May 2021, this guy married this woman in secret. Okay. Now, granted, he's a famous person and he's been targeted and kidnapped. So I can imagine why he'd want to keep his private life private. Although, hell, if I just dumped my 30-year wife and was upgrading to a woman near 20 years my junior who's skinny, little blonde, I might do that too. So anyway, and also I, I'm really struggling here about body shame and stuff because I like people to accept their bodies and things of that nature. Although it's really difficult when you got people, for example, um, of one demographic that is uh, marginalized, but they're using their only power. For example, in a patriarchy, um, it's common that people of color are pitted against women. Or it's common that um, gays and lesbians are pitted against uh, people of age, you know, ageism. You know, th there's different ways that people make fun or they, the people taking the power say, you attack that person, right? And some of the deepest wounds you're ever going to get in misogyny or patriarchy are going to be women hurting other women, you know, so because they use uh, people as flying monkeys and to kind of pull out their resources or they're disempowered and it's the only way they can gain power in a structure that's not fair, right? So... So, okay, the famous director, he dumps his wife, and then he gets this nice skinny little blonde, and she's 20 years junior, and she's, well, she likes to marry directors, that one. Okay, well, let's take a look at that. He's got a new movie coming out, and his new movie is about psychics. <laughs> and I heard this director, he was interviewed by Terry Gross, see? And um, Terry Gross was talking to, and every time he talked about the word psychic, he used the word charlatan or manipulative, a mentalist, a magician. Right. Um, this director referred to a couple of different experts when he was coming up with his work. Uh, let's see. Who did he refer to? I heard him talking to. Mm -mm -mm. Let's see. Who did he refer to? He referred to Penn and Teller. He brought up Penn and Teller and he um, paid this person as a consultant for the movie. Uh, this movie he just has coming out called Nightmare Alley. Nightmare Alley. He also mentions Darren Brown. Okay. So this male director who just dumped his 30-year wife and got the nice skinny blonde upgrades 20 years younger. Well, uh, he likes to make movies about psychics. And as it turns out, every psychic in his movie is a charlatan and a liar. And you know, psychic comes from the derivative of female intuition, right? Okay. So um his movie, he talks about with Terry Gross and about halfway through the interview, I got so pissed off, I had to turn it off because I was like, oh, great. Let's go ahead and burn the witch and talk about how all psychics are fake. And that's what he's doing again. And he's doing it by hiring a really good looking hunky guy named Bradley Cooper. And if, if, if Guillermo del Toro was going to choose somebody to be his, uh, his avatar in a, a 3D movie, I think Bradley Cooper probably be a good person that's a lot different than the way Guillermo del Toro looks, okay? Now, I'm talking about, I don't want to body shame nobody, but Guillermo del Toro has a look, okay? He's got a race demographic. He comes from Mexico, but he's white as a ghost. He's, well, he's white like Lucy K. People don't know that Lucy K is half Mexican because he's got pale skin, but he's half Mexican, see? And people just, he passes as white, see? Guillermo del Toro, with his name and his accent, he ain't going to pass as white, but he is white. He's he got pale, pale skin. Every photo I've seen of him, He's a big 300 or more pound guy. He's a good three to 500 pound man. Okay. You get to be that and you get to love yourself. If you're exploiting women and you're exploiting poor people, then I get to confront you anyway. Okay. And that's kind of what's going on here in my perception.
Okay. I can support and sit there and go, The Shape of Water is one of my favorite movies, or it used to be. I can sit there and say Pan's Labyrinth is a beautiful work of art. Although when I step back a bit and I go, hmm, there's a virginal young girl. There's always this itty bitty young girl or in Shape of Water, it's a mute woman, a mute woman. Oh boy, a woman who can't talk. Yeah. Um, now when we're talking about this new Nightmare Alley movie, um, he talked to Terry Gross talking about how every time he mentioned psychic, it was a charlatan. Every time he referred to an expert that he referred to or did research with, it was a man making money off of fooling people. Okay. Nowhere in this interview and nowhere in the interviews I've heard him talk about this movie is him talking about intuition is real. Women's psychic intuition needs to be respected and admired. And maybe science doesn't understand it. And maybe science is a bad tool to evaluate it in my perception of things. Just because you have a method doesn't mean that it's appropriate for the context. I think the Buddhists have that concept called mu, meaning the question does not understand the topic, you know. So I'm bringing this up in the fallen ones to say, Guillermo del Toro, you're welcome to dump your wife for 30 years and upgrade with a woman 20 years younger than you. And you're welcome to do it secretly, as you did last year. Why would you do it secretly? Well, you want some privacy, that's okay. Although, if you take a look at this couple, Kim Morgan and Guillermo del Toro, they're visually quite different. They're visually quite dynamic, and they get to be. Because you know what? There's BBW, there's uh, Slender, there's, you know, there's all kinds of ways to love a body. Although this very wealthy man who likes to write movies where there's a bunch of monsters and weak little girl babies who are harmed and, and are forced to do things and sometimes have agency, but pretty much they're damned and they're going to be fucked up and tortured by some guy who's writing about monsters. And it's always a male monster, isn't it? You know? And Bradley Cooper is his archetype and his avatar for his new Nightmare Alley movie. And he's a charlatan who likes to manipulate people using psychic ability. And everybody who's psychic must be a liar, right? Yeah. So, Gamma del Toro, could you get some therapy about how you perceive feminine intuition and power? Because you need to look in the, why don't you look in the eyes of a poor woman who's a psychic, who's been a psychic for decades, who didn't want to be a psychic necessarily, or didn't ask for it. Why don't you get to have PTSD shit when you go out to dinner and you're sitting next to someone and you get to see flashes of what they've lived through, whether you like it or not, okay? Might be projection, might be transference. But um, also, a lot of times it's right, and I can prove it. So you're never going to be heard by people like this because their fantasies are more important to them than the reality. And their empathy is real obvious. And this is the thing that pisses me off, like Josh Whedon. They're portraying themselves as being a feminist and an intuitive. They're portraying themselves as being a feminist. Hell, if you look up Guillermo del Toro, you're going to see feminists associated with his work. I counter that's not the case. I counter that's not always the case. Okay? And today on The Fallen Ones, I'm going to say, Guillermo del Toro, you need to listen to some psychic women and give them praise. And also, the word comes from a girl who's a virgin who's raped by a beast and has no control and then is killed. <laughs> this fantasy ain't women's. This is somebody else's fantasy in my perception of things. Now, the thing is, this is kind of convoluted and mixed up, but we could do better. We could do better by women. And I know psychic ability means something. Psychic ability is good. And I feel that there's got to be better ways to talk about it.
So I guess telling my stories is going to give you another perspective, perhaps. But there's better places to be than fallen. And there's softer, better empathy places to share from, I think. Anyway, I appreciate you coming and ruminating here at the house on Valencia Street while trying to find the origins of some of these things that define us, whether we like it or not, see. You're never alone here at the house on Valencia Street. And sometimes it's whether you like it or not. Yeah. Mm. Thank you for coming and listening this week. I appreciate you.